Hi, and thank you for listening to Dream 10X Radio, where we interview people attempting to live extraordinary lives. Our twofold purpose is to both direct and inspire people bold enough to do the same. Dream 10X. Face your fears. Hey, Dream 10X world, welcome to episode 27 of Dream 10X podcast. It's your boy, JC. <laughs> and Cindy. Why are you laughing? Oh, nothing. I'm trying to do my radio voice. You, you do have a great radio voice. Hey, so what are we talking about today? I don't know. You wrote a book, didn't you? I wrote a book? Read a book. I read a book. Yes, I read a book. Um, Flash Boys by Michael Lewis. Have you ever read it? I have not. I never even heard of it until you told me about it. It's a great book. It's really entertaining. But before we talk about what I think I learned in this book, <laughs> I wanted to mention, uh, relative to our last discussion on the Cradle to Cradle book. Yeah. So I'm looking through Instagram the other night, and I see an ad. And I hate ads, and I usually don't pay any attention to them. But this one caught my attention because it purported to be a detergent product that you could subscribe to it comes in sheets so you uh, I forget how many sheets but you peel the sheets off and you throw them in the uh, uh, the, the uh, clothes machine what do you call it washer Washing machine. I, I never use the thing so I don't know I don't know how to use it but you throw the sheet in there and you turn on the you turn on the clothes thing and the water comes out and it dissolves and it turns into soapy suds wow. and it washes the clothes. And then when you're done with all the sheets, using all the sheets, you can take the packaging and you can just bury it. It's totally biodegradable. That's so much better than those giant plastic bottles that we keep having to buy. Exactly. You get these big plastic bottles and they say that, uh, yeah, we throw them in the recycling or we throw them out, but you can't really recycle those things, apparently, uh, um, which I believe. like. I figured they all end up in the dump one way or the other. Yeah. So anyway, that just caught my attention and, and uh, it kind of made me feel good that people are actually out there thinking about how to improve their packaging and make their packaging biodegradable as well as um, sustainable products. That's amazing. The, the big issue though is like for the consumer. Like, how do we get these things in the supermarkets? I've never seen anything like that. We're still stuck with seeing those big plastic bottles. Well, and maybe that's why they were advertising on Instagram. Because mm. it definitely caught my attention. Yeah. So maybe they're catching other people's attention, too, with that kind of that... I, I mean, I'm not Mr. Echo mindset, but it, it, it definitely made me think, hey, here's, some, here's somebody's trying to do some due diligence on a sustainable cradle-to-cradle product. And that's why it caught my attention. Sweet. So I think we should buy it. All right, let's and, do it. And try it out, see how it works. Okay. Forget the name of the product, but and besides, I wouldn't mention it on the podcast. But, <laughs> um, just wanted to mention that. Okay, so Flash Boys by Michael Lewis. This book is about the stock market, and specific, more specifically, it's about how things that take place on the stock market are probably not what average people think uh, take place. You know, okay, so my dad got a subscription to The Bottom Line. It's this magazine, and I love it. Yeah. And every middle of, the, they have a whole middle section that's all about investments and caps and what you should be buying in stocks and what you shouldn't be buying. And I've always looked at it going, I should really start investing. But then after talking to you, it seems like a bad idea. Well, I don't know. Don't let me sway you. Um, I mean, obviously, 
there is a lot of money and wealth to be built by um, buying stocks. I mean, just look at Warren Buffett and look at all the other people out there who are making tons of money but uh, off of buying and selling stocks. But after reading this book, I really, you know, you have to, you have to really think about what's going on and, you know, take to heart uh, things that you read and, and learn and try to figure out how to apply them to your own investment strategy and, and what makes sense to you as an individual. And I'm still, so after reading this, I'm, I'm really thinking about things, <laughs> especially relative to Wall Street and, and buying equities. Um, it's a system of high frequency trading where computers are now acting as human stockbrokers. Um, but they don't have the interests of, you know, so the human stockbrokers back in the day, back in Warren Buffett's, when he was just starting out as a kid working at his uncle's firm, as when his uncle was a stockbroker, what would happen would be uh, somebody would be interested in buying a stock. They'd come in to the office where the stockbroker guys worked and say, "Hey, I want to buy ten shares of United Steel or Southern Railroad or whatever." And they would place the order face to face like that, and then the stockbroker would then, I think this is how it worked. We'd get on the phone and call somebody and say, "Hey, I want ten shares of United Steel or." whatever and and transact that way over a landline and and um, I don't know how I, I guess they would exchange physical money at that time of the purchase I, I'm imagining that's how it would work because they didn't have online transactions and all that stuff then yeah I know there's like chits when you look at the um... watch your language we gotta be really careful <laughs> what's a chit I don't I don't give a chit what you just said <laughs> Like on that. the on the stock floor, they would have somebody call the guy on the trading floor mm, and say, mm -hmm. and they would exchange like paper, mm -hmm. like not money, but like chits or whatever. Yeah. 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 You're right. Um, you're right. So that's probably who the guy would call. He'd just probably probably call somebody who's actually in the pit on Wall Street doing yelling those buy sell orders. Mm -hmm. That's the way it used to work. Um, and then eventually the paper stock would make its way back to Nebraska. And, um, I think, you know, eventually Warren Buffett's uncle would hand over the, the physical piece of paper to the person who bought those shares of stocks. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, that stock, that human stockbroker doesn't exist anymore, replaced by a machine. And the guys in the pits who are yelling the orders are all replaced by machines. It's all, all machines now, obviously. And, and... This, the transition to computers actually happened relatively recently in 2007, which I thought was... That's really... Really interesting. Yeah. Like, I thought that would have happened earlier than yeah. that. But really, the whole transition to machines uh, and humans in the loop uh, got, got replaced around 2007. Mm -hmm. And that's when things have gotten kind of squirrely. Um, so regulations, let's talk about regulations a little bit. I, I learned about two regulations passed by the SEC uh, to try to help make stock transactions and the stock market more transparent and more in favor of individual investors like you and me who want to buy and sell stock. The first regulation they passed was in 2007 or uh, 2005. So just before machines took over, 2005 mm -hmm. is called uh, the Regulation National Market System. 
And uh, the, the, uh, it, it's commonly known as Reg NMS, the Regulation Market System, Re Regulation National Market System. And, and this uh, regulation required stockbrokers to find the best market prices for the investors that they represented. So keep in mind that this was before the machines took over. Mm -hmm. So Reg NMS was uh, requiring brokers to find the best market prices for the people buying stocks. Okay. Then they also passed uh, another regulation called the National Best Bid and Offer, NBBO. And that regulation um, was to make sure that brokers bought the cheapest shares available that they could find uh, on a market before going to other exchanges to fulfill a large order. So, in other words, if somebody was buying 100 shares of Microsoft, we'll just keep using Microsoft's <laughs> example, and there were 10 shares of Microsoft available that uh, were cheaper than on the other exchanges. So, there's a bunch of exchanges, right? Um, so, that's another complicated wrinkle in the whole thing that I wasn't aware of. So, public companies can be, their, their shares of stock can be traded on a number of different exchanges. I think right now there's, like, there's like 13 public exchanges. Wow. Do they choose or is it? Well, so the NBBO regulation says, okay, wherever you find the cheapest stock, you have to buy the cheapest shares. You have to buy those first. So if you're trying to buy a hundred shares and there's, uh, and there's 10 that are the cheapest out of all the exchanges available, you have to buy those, those first 10 on whatever exchange you find them on before you buy the other remaining 90 at whatever prices. And so the prices can differ on all the exchanges that are out so there as well. So the machine needs to ping all 13 servers to see which is the cheapest. Yes. Yes. Okay. <coughs> okay. Great point. So how do you do that? There's this thing called the Securities Information Process, or SIP. And what this is, is I... What this is, is... It is a, a representation... Uh, it tries to be the best representation of the current... Uh, the current price of all the stocks on all the ex exchanges. So all 13 exchanges pipe their share prices into the SIP and then the SIP calc calculates the NBBO value for you know each share. Okay. okay. Now it takes uh, some, it, it takes several mill it takes takes several milliseconds for the for the SIP to ingest all the, the stock data from these 13 exchanges. And then it takes a, an additional set of milliseconds for it to calculate the MBBO value for those shares, okay? Okay. So it turns out then that that time lag, that time it takes for it to ingest the data and to calculate those things that um, to provide stock, uh, people, investors, uh, information about share prices it takes time for it to do that and that time turns out can be or is being exploited by high frequency trading algorithms to um, so so there's a lot there's a time lag there all the stock prices that we see on like CNBBC or was it MSNBC? Mm -hmm. I, I don't watch these shows, but MSNBC and probably Google Finance and Yahoo Finance all come from the SIP. But the high frequency traders have their own internal SIP that is run by faster computers that's 
run. Uh, it's well maintained. It's uh, closer closer to the heart of the exchange, and and more real time than what the average investor can actually see. There's less of a time lag in those internal in the internal representation of the prices than what regular investors can see. And so the high frequency traders are using that information, their near real time information, which is even more near real time than what the SIP can provide to front run just about everybody who's trying to do a stock transaction. Maybe an, another analogy is use, to use Amazon. Amazon has all these companies listing their products for, for sale. Yeah. And that's what we see the sale prices for a, a given computer through Amazon uh, being listed by all these different companies. And so that we're comparing prices based on what we see through Amazon. However, um, demand, you know, people may be buying that product faster than what Amazon is listing on there, driving up the price behind the scenes. So uh. people who have closer input have a, have a faster pipe into the Amazon database, know that the price is going up before we can act, actually purchase, purchase it. Okay. Um, so I, I've been thinking about an uh, analogy for what it means to be a high frequency trader front running uh, a, a stock transaction. And I, th I think a good analogy might be, um, say you wanna go uh, see the latest Star Wars and you, do a, you put a Google search in for Star Wars tickets in the local area. Well, because it's Google and people can get that information, uh, let's assume that somebody sees you searching for those Star Wars tickets and they know that you want to go to the theater to buy those tickets and see the movie. Well, before you can actually get to the theater to buy the tickets, they have bought all the tickets in, ahead of you. And instead of $10 a ticket, they meet you at the door and say, Hey, all the, the the show is sold out, but we happen to have tickets here for you. They're on sale for, we'll, we'll sell them to you for $12. So like scalping. Yeah, it's kind of like scalping. That's basically my, my interpretation of what high frequency trading is and, and how they're front running all the orders. Does this mean you're taking me to a Star Wars movie when it comes out? If there's any more Star Wars movies, yeah. Yay! <laughs> but does that make sense? Yeah, that's the scalping analogy is really helpful to understand it. it, it I think that analogy uh, along with Amazon being the SIP yeah. and how people with uh, a faster pipe into the Amazon database to see how transactions are actually taking place before they can update the, the website with that data mm -hmm. is kind of, I think, put those two together and that kind of describes and explains what goes on in the stock market. Yeah. And uh, so the high frequency traders are all about speed. They're, they're trying to get that pipe into the, you know, not the Amazon database, but the analogy of the Amazon. They're trying to get that pipe into the Wall Street exchanges as close as, as physically close as possible and as fast as possible. They want to what? Mm -hmm. They want to be as physically close as possible because of the theoretical limits of, or, or not theoretical, because of the speed of light. The, there's a you can't go any faster than the speed of light, 186,000 miles a second. And so, um, the only way you're going to get any faster. Is by being is, is physical location mm -hmm. being as close to the to the to the to Wall Street as you physically can, mm -hmm. um, assuming that all other networks are equal and are fiber optic. So fiber optic meaning data is traveling as light through fiber optic um, FIDI, FIDI cables. Yeah. You know what FIDI is? 
Uh, fiber optic switch? cables? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so fiber optic cables. Um, I used to make them. Oh, really? In the Navy. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, so you know yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. So assuming that the technology is, uh, is shared amongst all these high-frequency traders, then the name of the game is then, well, how can I get my technology as physically close to the exchange as possible? So it's really fascinating. So it's like everybody's at the strip club. And you're all getting to watch the women dance. But only those with the money can go to the champagne room to get nice and close. Yes. Uh, okay. Yeah. And the closer the, the better. The closer the better. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> yeah. So um, th there was a recent article in the Wall Street Journal where they're even. Uh, considering now coming uh, they're they're looking at new fiber optic cables that have these glass cores or whatever that you know whatever they can do to mm. get faster and faster and faster and because um you know speed is money <laughs> and uh and speed is money because they have to remain faster than than regular joe blow consumer like us yeah have you ever bought stock uh, individual stocks i have not you haven't i used mm -hmm. to have an e-trade account and every time i would buy like I, I bought i had no idea what i was doing i didn't research anything really didn't i, I pretended like I, I knew how to research stocks but i really you know in retrospect had no idea but i bought like johnson and johnson and google and and uh, i forget who else but Every stock that I bought, I lost money on. Really? And I eventually just gave up and sold them all at a loss and said, I'm done. Mm -hmm. uh, come to find out now after reading this that every transaction pretty much that regular Joe does, and not even just regular Joe, but I think you know, even corporate 401ks and um, pension, pension plans and all of that, mm -hmm. all of those transactions that take place are front run by high frequency traders. Wow. Because they're like the new brokers now. They're electronic brokers. And so some people will say, like the, in the book, there's a guy, Brad Katsuyama, who worked for the Royal Bank of Canada. And he called foul on, on all this. He, he says it's, it's unethical. You're ripping people off. And uh, he started a company called IEX to kind of combat um, his his perception that this is unethical behavior and that you shouldn't be treating uh, people who are trying to, to buy stocks that way. Um, but then the high frequency traders say, "Look, we're just replacing the human bro the human brokers, and so this is just uh, a tax. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's an additional tax that everybody has to pay in order to play mm -hmm. the game." So. What do you think? Is it unethical to, to be front run by these high frequency traders who are making billions of dollars off of everybody's stock transactions and at the end of the day, they hold no equities themselves because apparently it's too risky to actually hold, <laughs> hold a stock. So they don't hold any stock. They just make their money. They, they are guaranteed to make money. As long as people are buying and selling stock on the market, they are guaranteed to make money. Uh, and they're pretty much guaranteed not to lose any money mm. either because they don't hold anything at the end of the day. So what do you think? Whether this, or not it's ethical? Is this ethical? an unethical practice? I think... What these guys are doing. What, what these computers are doing. And they're backed by the big banks and 
whatever. Sure. I think the system is rigged to support big business because we're a very capitalistic society and that's the value system of America is capitalism. So if we look at that construct, then I think they're playing off of the system itself in order to get the most wealth for their business. So from a capitalistic standpoint, it makes perfect sense. From the average person standpoint, if I wanted to get involved in the stock market, of course I'd be like, well, this is completely unfair. I can't even get a chance. So I think it, ethics depends on your perception and your worldview. Hmm. Well, do you, you own stock, right? I own stock. Well, through, through my 401k. Through and, my 401k, yeah. through Vanguard, Vanguard yeah. uh, IRA. Um, and I, I don't know for sure if, um, you know, when we buy individuals, you know, when we invest, when we mm -hmm. send money to Vanguard or, or put money in our 401k, if those transactions are actually front run by high frequency traders or not, I don't know for sure, but reading the book, it seems to insinuate that pretty much everything is, mm -hmm. um, would we, would we be wealthier if that weren't the case? Like if mm -hmm. they weren't, if we were, if, if the markets were more transparent and we knew exactly what was going on when we buy and sell a stock, or is it, do you think it's just fair? Uh, so I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it sucks that these big banks and financial firms can do this kind of thing and without any kind of, like, the SEC seems to be turning a blind eye to what's going on and they're like, well, we don't, there's nothing we can do about it. We pass these regulations, what do you want? <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. So I'm kind of like, I don't know. I don't know if it's really bad or, you know, what, what am I going to do? Like not invest in my 401k? What are we, are we not going to try to build up our wealth by buying, buying stock and holding it for the long term? The way the system is, we're almost forced to do that. So there really aren't any other options. Like if we want to be able to retire, you have to do a 401k. Unless you are independently wealthy for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean, the, the other option is to stuff your money under your mattress like they used to do. but Or put um, it all in banks with interest where you gain interest, but even the interest rates aren't that much the, to... I mean, the interest rates are not... They're not even as high as uh, inflation right now, and yeah. inflation is going to get higher because now we're printing money mm -hmm. like crazy, even more. Um, so your cash is just going to... Uh, the value of your cash is going to become less and less. And so you can buy, buy real estate, but how is that actually investing in creating more wealth for you other than you have tangible land, but unless you sell it, then you don't have that actual cash. It's just an investment and it's not actually making it's tied money. Up. Yeah. It's tied up. yeah so you're... the only way to make money is seems to be through the system and the system is regulated through this process where we have to invest in stocks. So, so how do we change the system? Yeah, so I'm kind of on the fence. I'm not, I don't like the fact that we do not have the means to compete at the level of these big banks and financial firms. And so I, th I think that's not fair. And there needs to be fairness in the market. Because if there's not fairness, there's not trust. Mm. And trust underlies everything in the US economy. And if you don't, if you degrade that trust, of everybody participating in the market, then you don't have an economy. You know, you will no longer have an economy. Everything's built on trust. So that's the thing that worries me. Like, why would you not want to do everything in your power to build trust 
amongst everybody participating in the market. So after reading this, I don't trust the market. I don't trust Wall Street. I don't trust the high frequency traders. I don't trust what they're doing when I try to buy. All I want to do is buy a stock in a company. I don't trust what's going on behind the scenes. Not only that, not only are there 13 exchanges with these high frequency traders doing all this stuff, you know, millions of times at the, by the time you blink an eye, but there's these exchanges called dark pools, which are meant to be even more opaque to anybody who's trying to look into financial transactions taking place. So it's actually a term and it's an accepted term. The SEC again turns a blind eye to uh, transactions that take place on dark pools and dark pools are, are everywhere. There's there, all these financial firms have a dark pool. Hmm. And they're called dark pools because nobody knows who's buying and nobody knows who's selling and for how much. And, you know, uh, that just sounds crooked to me. Like maybe there's a rationale for it. Um, maybe people don't want to be selling large chunks of stock and uh, inadvertently influencing, you know, the market. Mm -hmm. But, um, but. You know, from my perspective, too bad. We need, I think, in order to build trust, you need complete transparency in the exchange. Bottom line. That's, I think that's my bottom line. So okay. I no longer trust. So what trust. if it all went to an um, alternative currency model like Bitcoin where... You know, digital currency, I think, is one way for, uh, uh, I, I guess, maybe a... This is a mischaracterization, but it seems like it's a way for grassroots technical people to kind of stick it to the big banks yeah. and create their own own way of, uh, you know, liberating uh, currency. Okay. Uh, you know, kind of putting it in the hands of the people and taking it out of the hands of the king and the government and the big banks. Maybe that's not the case, but that's kind of what I'm what I what I picture it as. Um, and I think that's probably a fallacy just, just as much as the whole Robin Hood, uh, thing where people are buying GameStop through Robin Hood, trying to stick it to wall street. What's really funny about that to me is that the high frequency traders are the ones who are the brokers for every single transaction that takes place on Robinhood. Wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> so people who think they're sticking it to Wall Street by buying GameStop through Robinhood is like, <laughs> you know, it's just crazy. It makes no sense. Uh -huh. So anyway, very interesting book. Um, really makes me think a lot about things going on in the stock market and highly recommend it. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Or not. <laughs> <laughs> we will see you in a week or two. Over and out. Bye.